Oh, man. Well, everybody loves a good office party, right? Um, I, I know that uh, our, our team actually had our staff Christmas party this past week, and uh, we actually did this thing called the White Elephant Gift Exchange. If you guys heard of these things before, y'all play these games? Uh, I've since come to find out that uh, that game has a couple different names. One is uh, a Yankee Swap. Uh, my favorite is uh, Nasty Christmas. Uh, I like that one. Uh, but the White Elephant Gift Exchange is where you know you, you come in, you, you grab a gift, and you have an opportunity to kind of exchange it back and forth, and, and people get upset, and do and, uh, all about it, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's a great thing, right? But you have to be really careful when you play this game because it, it really depends on the people that you invite to come to that party because there's, there's always that one guy. There's always that guy that, that doesn't play by the unspoken rules. The unspoken rule, like, you don't ever bring something that's alive to a white elephant gift exchange, you know? That, that, that kind of guy. And, uh, and so Emily Pennington happened to be the first one to draw uh, the presents. And she, she's uh, one of the, the gals that leads our guest services out here. She's also the, the lead pastor's uh, wife. And, uh, and so she opens up her gift, and this is what she finds. Yes, that is uh, Jerry, uh, a live mouse in a box, uh, and, and he is a fancy mouse, and, uh, and she was more than startled when she opened this gift, and I'm proud to say that I am that guy, all right, that you don't want to invite to your Christmas party. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, my name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at Trace. Uh, good morning and Merry Christmas to you. Can you believe we're only a week out from the big day? I can't believe it. This is this is amazing. I, I don't know about you all, but a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement in our house. Matter of fact, yesterday when it snowed, like I was halfway tempted to break out the presents. It's like, all right, dreaming of a white Christmas, let's go ahead and get this thing on the road. But you can't do that because traditions say that you can't open up presents before Christmas. Uh, and if you're in the Bullock household, everybody's got different traditions. But, but one of our traditions is that we wake up in the morning, uh, rather our kids come and wake us up in the morning, and they're excited to do gifts, but... I make them wait because then we have a, a big breakfast that I fix for everybody, and, and I make them wait again because then we have to read the Christmas story, uh, and then finally we get to the presents. Now, I know that I'm a horrible person, okay, uh, for making my kids do that, but uh, it helps us keep the most important things in perspective, and we keep those things first. Just like uh, Pastor Aaron last week had taught us, uh, people are more important than presents. And, and certainly the, the gift that God has given us of His presence, it, it ought to be the, the very front and center of what we do for Christmas. But we get this wrong all the time, don't we? And, and so, so I, I find it so difficult to understand how a, a season that's dedicated to the very thing of God, uh, we have to try so hard to remind people of over and over again, but we have to do that, and so that is why we at Trace uh, have come up with this, this series called Presence, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. It reminds us that this season is not about gifts, but it is about presence, both God's presence in our lives, as well as our presence in each other's lives. And so we're going to continue on with that, but, but before we go on with the message, uh, do you all mind if I show you one more picture from, uh, from our party that we had? Uh, you see, every once in a while you come across something that is just so good you can't help but keep to yourself. So take a look at this. This is one of the gifts that was given right there. That's baby Aaron and baby Corey with beards. Uh, and and this, is, this is what we call uh, in, the, uh, in the white elephant gifting world... Um, Regifting gold, right there. Okay, uh, this picture will resurface again. It is a regift. You all understand the concept of regifting, right? It, it, it's where you take something that's 
that's been given to you, and you can't help but just share the joy of that thing with somebody else, okay? And in this case, it's pretty, pretty useless, but funny, all right? You're going to pass it on to somebody else. But, but what I've learned in, in my short tenure here uh, is uh, that oftentimes the best re-gifts are actually the ones that you really like, you really enjoy, but you happen to find somebody else that could like that or enjoy it or use it better than somebody else. Now, I like to consider myself the re-gifting king, okay? But my philosophy in life is that things are better when they're slightly used, okay? With the exception of uh, soap on a rope, but that's a story for a different time, okay? Um, uh, but uh, I have two brothers. I've got an older brother and a younger brother, and rarely have I ever given them a gift that I haven't used or worn first. Uh, that's just kind of my deal with them, and they understand this. And that reminds me of, uh, of a Christmas in college uh, when uh, I was getting something for my older brother, and I went to Gap Outlet out, outside of Cincinnati. And, and there's a lot of good things at this Gap Outlet. You can go and you get them very inexpensive. And, and he and I happen to be uh, the same size, scrawny. And so I, I try on a sweater, and, um, and, he, and it fits. And I'm like, man, this is a great gift for my brother. So I go ahead and purchase it, and I take it home. The problem was, I start to realize that there, there was like two or three weeks before Christmas uh, like actually happened. And then the pragmatist came out at me and I started thinking, you know, this awesome sweater that happens to fit me is going to sit in a box for the next two weeks and do absolutely nothing. And so I did what any good college brother would do, and I wore that shirt for the next two weeks before I gave it to him. Right? That's, that's, what, that's what we do in our family. Matter of fact, my, my brother actually just recently returned uh, the favor in this regifting. Uh, he was given a, uh, an incredible gift uh, a few Christmases ago. My, my parents actually gifted him uh, with these uh, neoprene waders, okay? And uh, these are nice, and he wore them, and, and we we're all fishermen, and our family love fishing and stuff, and, and he enjoyed these. But when he found out that I was coming to Colorado, uh, he realized that I would probably be able to make better use out of these things than he could. And so he re-gifted me this gift. Now, I, I gotta tell you, I, I wasn't in the least bit offended that he gave me a gift that was intended for him. Okay, I was actually thrilled that he was willing to part with such an incredible gift because he knew that I could make good use out of that gift. Guys, I'm coming to understand that sometimes the best gifts, the great gifts, are meant to be re-gifted. And, and that is never more true than with the good gift that was given to us in Jesus Christ. You see, uh, Jesus Christ, the birth of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the presence that he offers us is a great gift that was never meant to be kept and hoarded. Instead, it was meant to be experienced and shared. In other words, uh, the presence of God is meant to be re-gifted. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to take a look at the best re-gift ever. And the one thing that we're going to hinge our conversation on today is this. The presence of God is meant to be personal, but not private. Okay? The presence of God is meant to be personal, but not private. Now, what I want to do is I want to, I want to take you to a passage this morning that I believe uh, will unlock the keys to understanding this one thing that we're going to talk about today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up, turn them on uh, to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't happen to have a Bible today, you can take a look up here on the screen. I'll, I'll put the passage up there. But in guest services, we actually have a Bible that we would like for you to have. So make sure you grab one before you go today. 
Uh, and several years back, I was I was doing something uh, similar to what we call our D1 here at Trace. Now, D1 is, is Disciple 1. It is a, uh, is a Bible study method, and we encourage everybody of all ages to be in the Bible every day. And, and it's a simple method. It's one chapter, one verse, one thought, one moment, one person, okay? And so I was, I was doing this very thing in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, that one chapter, and there was a specific verse that stood out to me, verse 15. And, and, uh, and out of that came a thought, and from that thought uh, kind of spurred on the message, the crux of what you're going to hear today. Now, if you're all anything like me, you kind of like to know where somebody's going with it. So I'm going to give you an outline to follow. Uh, from this passage that we're going to look at, we're going to be taking a look at three things. Accept, abide, and announce. And we're going to go in those orders. Uh, I'm going to spend a small amount of time on the first two, and we'll kind of camp out on that announcement because that's really where I want to take you guys today. And so 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Peter is written by a guy named... Peter, very good. You guys are like Bible scholars. I love this already, okay? Doing good. He's written by, by, by a guy named Peter. Uh, his name is also spoken of as uh, Cephas in Scripture, also Simon. That will be important uh, for later as we talk about this. Peter happened to be one of the 12 disciples, the original 12 disciples uh, that followed Jesus. He was also in this inner group, one of the, one of the three guys that was closest to Jesus during his ministry time. And Peter happens to be the guy that Jesus speaks of, and he says, Upon this rock, I will build my church. Okay, so this guy that we're going to hear from here in this minute is kind of an important dude in Christianity. Okay, so let's take a look at what he says. He says, but, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay. Uh, we're going to camp out in this verse, and we're going to break it down. And so let's start with that first part. It says, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Guys, this is where it all starts. Okay, I want to get to the announcing part, but, but you can't do anything with the announcing without first doing the accepting. In other words, you can't give away what you don't have. You can't re-gift something that hasn't already been given to you. It, it would be like my, my kids trying to give away my car to somebody, all right? Uh, it just doesn't work like that. Or if I saw somebody with a need and, and I came up to them and I said, man, I, I would really like for you to have a million dollars. But I don't have a million dollars. I can't give that away, right? Yeah, it's the same thing with the good news about Jesus. Uh, we can't give away what we ourselves don't have. So what is the gift, you might ask? Well, well Peter actually describes this just a couple verses down from where we're reading here. In verse 18, he says this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is the gift. That is the gift. Matter of fact, a couple weeks back, we, we shared this, uh, this uh, diagram with you. If you take a look at it here, you can see this is, this is what we call the morality scale. Okay? On the top side, you got perfection. On the bottom side, you got evil. And somewhere along that scale, uh, you have us. The collective people uh, of humanity. You have the people like Mother Teresa that are that are really, really good in this life. You got people like Hitler that are on the bottom side of the scale. And you and I fall somewhere in between those two people, okay, for the most part. Now here's the here's the bad news. Okay, in order for us to actually be in the presence of God, there's a line drawn. And that line told us by scripture is at perfection. You can see that dotted white line at the top. That means that all of us fall below that line. All of us fall short of the standard and the glory of God, which means that we are not acceptable in His sight as we are. We can't be in His presence. That's the bad news. That's the truth. But here's the good news. Here's the grace of the matter. 
the only one who's actually met that standard, Jesus Christ, who lived the perfect, sinless life, laid his life down on the cross. He offered us a sin swap. He said, I'll take on your imperfection. I'll take on your punishment. And in exchange, I will give you my righteousness, my perfection, my holiness, my goodness, so that when God looks at you, you are now acceptable in his sight. And I will bring you to him so that you can be in his presence. That is the gift that has been offered us. It's, it's, like a, it's like a check for a million dollars that has been extended to you. But here's the deal. Unless you actually accept that, unless you receive that, unless you cash it in, you're not able to give it away. Okay? So this is the good news that God has given us, but we must accept it. And the way that this passage tells us that we accept it is that we set apart Christ as the Lord of our lives. We turn over the keys of our hearts to Him and say, this life is yours. It's not about me, it's all about you. So let's go back to our one thing real quick. The presence of God is meant to be personal. It is a gift that is given specifically and individually to each and every one of you. So let me ask you a question. Have you received that gift? Have you accepted the good news of Jesus Christ? Do, do you have the presence of God actually living in and around you and through you? If you don't, guys, I, let me just tell you that that's where it all begins. And uh, we are here to walk with you through that, whether it's today or some other time in this journey with Jesus. We want to talk to you about that. So stop by guest services, catch myself or Aaron. We'd love the opportunity to introduce you personally to Jesus. Let's continue on. Okay, back to that First Peter 3 verse. It says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. Okay, let's, let's pause there. Always be prepared. How do you get prepared, okay? Well, this is how you get prepared. You get familiar with. How do you get familiar with? You, you, you're in proximity to. You see, the things that we know the most about, the things that we're most comfortable about, are the things that we are around the most, okay? Uh, we know our spouses. We know our kids because we're around them. And you guys, uh, you know your football, you know your team, and you know why the Denver Broncos don't have a chance that they can play us, okay? <laughs> because you all around, you watch them, you, you see this, okay? Uh, we know it because we're in proximity to it. Now, the word is given in Scripture that talks about this in relationship to our personal relationship to God is this. It's the word abide. Now, that word doesn't have a whole lot of context to us. It's kind of a weird word. We don't use it in our language a lot. But this is what it means in context to this, this uh, presence of God. It means we, we hang close to Jesus. We stick around Jesus. We spend time with him. We, we hear from him. We listen to him. We, we talk with him. We, we hang out with his friends and we do what he says. And, and one of the things he says is this. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To catch this, you accept the good news of Jesus and you abide in Jesus. But if you don't abide in Jesus, you can't do a thing. You know, I don't know if you've ever caught this, if you've looked at the, uh, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, but early on in his ministry, he would do these miraculous, crazy things, okay? And then he would look at the person, he would say, don't go tell anybody about that. Now, I, I don't know about you, but looking at the end of the story, it's like, that, that's, isn't the point to go tell people about what we experience Jesus do, okay? But Jesus goes even as far as say, he says, uh, no man can testify on my behalf. Only the Father and the Spirit can do that because he knows the hearts of man. Now, 
Fast forward to the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to peace out. He gives this great commission. He says, hey, by the way, now it's your turn. Go tell everybody about all that I told you and all that I've taught you. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus' words are either contradicting himself or there's something that has happened in the in-between. And, and, and Jesus actually gives us an insight to this. In John 14, when he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, who the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. You know why? Because he abides with you and will be in you. See, something does change in that process. You see, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins and you accept that invitation, that gift that he gives you, then he actually inserts his spirit in you. He comes and dwells in you. He abides in you and you and him. And guess what, guys? If you have the spirit of God living in you, you are fully equipped and empowered to do every good work that God's prepared ahead of time for you to do. So stop acting like you can't do the things that God's actually do. Okay? He has equipped and prepared you to do that if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So, what do we need to be prepared for? Now we're going to camp out in this announcement section. Let's, let's move on back to, uh, to, to 1 Peter chapter 3, okay, verse 15. This is what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer to any question that someone has about Christianity. Oh, is that not the version that you guys read up there? Okay, just making sure you are paying attention, okay? Look at the words that are spoken here by Peter. That is not what he says. What he says is always be prepared to give an answer to the reason for the hope that you have. Did you catch that? It is not your responsibility to give a defense for all of Christianity. It is not your responsibility to have an answer for every spiritual question that somebody asks you. You have no job of actually defending Jesus. He doesn't need a defender. I mean, think about this. How, how do you defend the lion? You let it out of its cage and you get out of its way. That's what you do, okay? But Jesus is a lion. He doesn't need your defense. That is not what we've been asked to do. Yet oftentimes that's what we feel like we're supposed to do. What does this passage say? It says our mission is simply to share the hope that we have. Once we accept the good news of Jesus and we abide in his very presence, then it's our job to announce it. But the problem is we have all sorts of issues with this, don't we? We have all sorts of problems because we start thinking of all the things that could possibly go wrong. We start asking ourselves questions like, what if, what if I don't know enough? What if I don't have the answer to the things that people ask me? Or what if they find out that I'm not actually who I really say I am? What, what if they see that I'm actually a hypocrite? Uh, what, what if they reject me? What if, what if I harm the relationship? What if I, I push people further away from God than they already were because uh, I can't share the things that I need to share? Those are the questions that start going through our minds. But, but might I suggest that we're asking the wrong questions because we actually have a misunderstanding of our role in this process of announcing. And, and we also have a misunderstanding of God's definition of success when it comes to this. And so uh, allow me to just share just real quickly with you uh, those two things. First of all, let's talk about success in God's eyes. You see, when God calls us to announce the hope that we have to other people, he defines success not by their response. He defines success simply by our obedience. That's it. Guys, we, we can't control how other people are going to respond to things. We might share our hope with somebody and they tell us to get lost. And guess what God says? 
Well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. You were obedient to the task. You were successful. Okay? That is the definition that God uses of success in this regard. Uh, secondly, okay, well, the other thing we talked about, what is our role? Oftentimes we think that we have to convince people of this hope that we have. We have to convince people that the truth that we have is actually true. It's actually real. But that's not our job either. That's actually the Spirit's job. His job is to convince and to convince. Our job is simply to share the hope that we have. And guys, oftentimes we just get this wrong. We get it wrong. And so I, I, I want to help you guys understand this a little bit. The presence of God is meant to be personal, but it's not meant to be private. You see, oftentimes we hold this thing really dear and, and near to our heart, as we should, but, but we do that with the exclusivity of actually not sharing it with other people, and we get this wrong. See, our faith in Jesus was never meant to be private. We, we make this thing too complicated. All we have to do is simply share what we have. I, I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Jason. And, uh, and Jason just recently had uh, a new baby uh, with, uh, with his wife, and uh, he's doing really, really well. Uh, he actually uh, recently got promoted to, to head it over all students uh, at the church that uh, I came from, that Aaron came from. And, uh, and he's doing really, really well. But that was not always the case with Jason. You see, um, when I was first introduced to Jason, uh, it was by a mutual friend of ours. And, and my friend came to me, and he shared with me uh, that Jason had uh, recently lost his job. And that uh, he, he lost his wife, his, his wife walked out on him, and that he was in the process of losing his house. So Jason was a bad country song, okay? Uh, or a good one, depending on whether or not you like country, okay? But, but that was Jason's life. Uh, probably more pertinent to this situation, uh, Jason had lost his hope. He was in a dark place. He wasn't doing very well. And so my friend comes to me, he tells me all this, and then he asks me, he's like, would you be willing to, to talk to Jason um, and, sh and share you know, your face or your hope with him? And I look back at my friend, and, uh, and I, I said to him, I said, um, you, you love the same God that I love, right? Yeah. It's like, you have the same spirit of God in you that, that I have because you've accepted Jesus, right? Yeah, yeah. So did you know that it is not the pastor's job and that he can't actually do it better than you can do it? That's actually your responsibility because everyone who's accepted the good news of Jesus is fully equipped in the power to announce that good news. Matter of fact, in this particular situation, you actually might be better equipped than I am to be able to share your hope because you have a relationship with this guy. And so I, I looked back and I said, no, I, I won't do that. But I will come with you and together we can, we can do that. And so we sat down, uh, we sat down with Jason across the table from him at a coffee shop, and uh, he began to, to share some of his story, and he shared some of his hopelessness. And it was, it was worse than I even shared with you. All the things that he had been through and the things that he was going through and the ways that he felt, he was in a dark place. Now, I wonder if some of you guys can relate to Jason. I, I wonder if, uh, if you have been at that hopeless spot. Maybe, maybe somebody that, that you love uh, uh, has just walked out on you. You've just been served some divorce papers or you just had a bad breakup and you go to a place of, of hopelessness. Maybe, maybe you've just recently been vacated from your house or you've lost uh, your car and, and you go to this place of hopelessness. Maybe you just got diagnosed 
with some kind of illness that's going to be very, very difficult to, to, to manage and to uphold. Maybe, maybe somebody who's near and dear to you is on the last stages of their life, and you are at a place of hopelessness. We, we all get to that place in our lives. And this is what you need to know about the conversation that, that my friend and I had with Jason. We didn't fix him in that moment. We didn't convict him or convince him of anything that we had that he needed to have. You know what we did? We shared the hope that we had in Jesus through the difficult things that we've been through and how he's met us in those moments. And you know what Jason did on that day and the days following? He borrowed some hope from us. Did you know as Christians, we, we can actually share the hope that we have with others. We can lend our faith and our hope to other people. And we did in the coming days, not just in that moment, but, but as we helped to pack up his house and on late night phone calls and, and painting, we shared hope with Jason. And he took heart from that time. And sometimes I think that when we start talking about evangelism, and that is a word that I've intentionally not used in this conversation at all because it's something that we get mixed up and backwards all the time. All that means is like sharing the good news of Jesus, sharing our faith with others, but somehow when we start talking about sharing our faith or evangelism, it becomes a kind of a head thing. It's like an intellectual transfer of knowledge or something. I need to inform you of something that you don't know. Okay? But that's not what people in our society today are looking for. They're not looking for knowledge. They're honestly not really even looking for truth. You know what they're looking for? looking for hope. Now, I don't have time to get into all of this, okay, but, but here's what statistics say. Here in the, the greater Colorado Springs area, only about 17% of the population comes to church. Okay, Over 80% of, of the people living around, they, they don't go anywhere to church. Matter of fact, there's studies that show only 60% of that population will actually go, uh, or actually only 40% of that population will go if they're asked to go to church. 60% won't even enter the doors of the church. Guys, I hate to tell you this, but the large majority of the people living around us, they're not looking for a church. They're, they're not looking for a, an entertaining preacher. They're not looking for a good worship set. That's not what they're looking for. They are looking for the hope that you have. And here's the deal. A church should be full of people that have hope and know the reason for it. You see, hope is the, is the light that shines in the dark world that draws people to us so that we can bring them to Jesus. That's what hope is, and that's what hope should do. And when that happens, take a look back at that 1 Peter chapter 3 verse. You all might have missed this, but don't miss it. Always be prepared to give an answer to who? To everyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope. Guys, when we are living in hope and it shines out of us, no matter how we feel, okay, that hope still has the opportunity to actually shine joy from us. When that is happening, people will actually come up to you and they will ask you, what is going on in your life? Why are you able to handle that situation differently than what I can handle? They will come and ask you about that. I'm not talking about standing on the street corner somewhere with a megaphone. I'm talking about being aware and available and open to the opportunities that God opens up whenever people come to you. That means that you have to be present and in the moment and looking for those things. So let me ask you a hard question. 
When was the last time somebody came and asked you about the reason for your hope? If, if hope is shining in you, people should be coming and asking you. And if you can't recall a time that somebody's asked you about your hope, you might need to go back to the beginning of this equation and talk about truly accepting the grace of Jesus Christ and abiding in Him so that you are ready to announce it when that time comes. Guys, we are hope carriers. We are hope distributors. We are the UPS of hope, guys, all right? That is our job. What can hope do for you? You all seen UPS drivers all over the place right now because they are constantly delivering gifts that you have given to them so that those gifts can be uh, distributed and given to other people, right? That's their job. That's the responsibility. But let me ask you this. What if UPS took the disposition that most of us Christians take in regards to hope and gift giving? Okay, what if the UPS drivers, instead of actually distributing those things and giving them away, they just started hoarding them and building them up? Okay, their trucks would be overflowing, wouldn't they? And, and people would start to be upset because things were not being uh, distributed in the right way. And they would probably lose their job because they're not doing their job. Guys, our job is to receive and experience the hope that God has given us and to distribute it freely to others, to give it away, not to hoard it for ourselves. We should not be hoarders of hope. We should be distributors of it. Been listening to this book by a guy named J.D. Greer, and he says this. He says, receiving the gospel immediately makes us debtors to those who have yet to hear about it. There's a world full of people that are looking for what it is that we have. And we are in debt to them, guys. To immediately share that with them as quickly and as completely as we possibly can when they come and ask us. You know, we've, uh, we've based this, this whole concept of accepting and abiding and announcing on, on the words of Peter here in 1 Peter. But let me tell you something about Peter. Uh, he, he was a very significant guy at the time of Jesus and after him. Maybe one of the most significant disciples uh, that came out of, of Jesus' ministry. But, but he would not be saying the things that he said here and doing the things that he did in his life if it hadn't been for his brother Andrew who brought the good news to him. Take, take a look at this in, in John chapter 1. It says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he was one of the two who heard what John, this is John the Baptist, had said about Jesus and followed him. Okay, so John the Baptist says, hey, that's the guy you're supposed to be following. Andrew starts to follow him. He hears of Jesus. He hears the words. He gains hope. And catch this. This is what he does. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and to tell him, we have found the Messiah. You know what he does? He brought him to Jesus. He found him. He brought his brother to Jesus. And here we are 2,000 years later reading the very words of the God that Andrew introduced Jesus to Peter. Guys, somehow we think that when we give this stuff away, that it goes away. But when we give hope away, it doesn't go away. It actually grows in us. When we distribute hope, it doesn't diminish it. It somehow expands in us. By sharing your pain, by sharing your screw-ups, by sharing your hard times and, and those places that Jesus met you in those moments. It makes those difficult, hopeless times somehow worth it. And it reminds you of the reason for the hope that you have in the first place. And it restarts this whole process of accepting, abiding, and announcing all over again. 
And guys, this doesn't mean that you won't ever feel hopeless. It doesn't mean that you won't ever be depressed or, or be despaired. Well, one of the parts of, of our family story is that my wife struggles with depression. And this is an ongoing cyclical thing that we have. There are sometimes that she doesn't feel like she has hope. But guess what? That hope still exists in her because there's nothing that can steal the joy away from her. Because it is given to us in Jesus and His Spirit. It cannot be taken. And here's the amazing thing that happens. Even when she feels like she is hopeless, there are other people that see the hope in her. And they come and they ask her, how is it you can deal with these things in your life? Because that is how brightly hope shines in us. It overcomes the feelings that we have in this life. Hope is powerful. And it needs to be redistributed. Guys, this is why we do Christmas in the first place. This is why we, we have these conversations. It's to remind us of the hope that we have. The hope that came to us in the form of a, of a baby. God, Emmanuel, among us, coming to us. The hope that we have in, in a Savior who laid down His life on the cross on our behalf. The hope that we have that He will never leave us nor forsake us, that He is with us always, and that one day we will be with Him. And the hope that we have that, that all the pain that we go through actually has a purpose. We do Christmas so that we can be reminded of these things. And hope, that hope that I just shared with you is the best re-gift ever. So let me ask you, who do you know? Who do you know that needs to borrow some hope from you today? I want you to think about that. Because there is somebody in your life. It's a neighbor, a coworker, it's a, it's a friend, it's, it's a family member, a brother or a sister. There's somebody in your life that is feeling a little bit hopeless right now. And we as Christians carry that with us. We have an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life. And so, so be like Andrew and bring them to Jesus. Bring hope to them. Invite them to coffee. Invite them to come to church if they'll come with you. Invite them over to your, to your home. But maybe even for Christmas. But give away the hope that you have. Guys, remember, the presence of God is meant to be personal, but not private. It doesn't get shared and distributed if it's private. It has to be lived out. And when it's lived out, people will come and they'll want to know about your personal faith in Jesus Christ, your hope that he's given you. Guys, the angels announced, the shepherds shared, the heavens hollered, and the disciples declared, the Father affirmed, the Spirit confirmed, the people before us passed it along to us, and even the rocks will cry out if we do not give away the hope that we have. We pray with you. Father God, we, we thank you for this gift that you have made available to us. And I know that, that everybody that is sitting here right now and listening to this, Online is a different place in this journey. And maybe their next step is to actually accept that thing for the first time. Or maybe they need to go back to the beginning of the drawing board because hope is not being lived out in their life. And they need to go back to, to abiding in your faith, in your love, and in the care that you've given. But for all of us, Lord, once we've received this, don't let us be hoarders of your hope. Let us live it out loud, not obnoxiously, but Father, boldly looking for, praying for opportunities to be able to share it with others. Take away the fears that we have. Lord, give us a right mind and success in our role. Let your spirit give us the right words to be able to offer comfort and peace.
peace and joy which translates into hope, especially in this time of year. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. All God's people said, Amen.